back on Marvel's Voices. I am your host, Anjali Crochet. We are all super excited over here because yesterday, that's right, yesterday, Wednesday Warriors, Marvel's Voices Legacy 2022 came out. We have been working really hard on this book and we are so pumped for you to finally get to see it. This is Marvel's Voices' eighth anthology to date, and this book features some incredible Black creators and characters like Moon Girl, which was written by Victor Lavelle. Writer Jay Holtham is exploring Sam Wilson's legacy. Also, it's just a very cute story that involves Misty Knight. Our girl Natasha Bustos wrote and did the art for her very first solo story, which is set in Wakanda, plus Cody Ziegler visits Black heroes throughout Marvel's history and celebrates Luke Cage's 50th anniversary. We also have some amazingly fun stuff like celebrating brand new heroes that have debuted in the Marvel Universe in the last 10 years. It's such a cool book, so make sure you go check it out wherever you get your comics. So on today's show, we have the incredible cover artist, Taryn Clark. He drew one of the gorgeous covers for Marvel's Voices Legacy. It features Storm, my personal favorite, Monica Rambeau Spectrum, and our boy Bishop actually in New York City in front of a gorgeous mural that is celebrating T'Challa the Black Panther. Torn also drew a cover for last year's Legacy issue, and he's drawn a lot of covers and variants for Marvel in general. You've probably seen his work on covers of books like Miles Morales' Spider-Man, King in Black, Shang-Chi, Captain Marvel, and so many more. Now, Torrin's been an artist and a comic book fan literally his entire life, but he's actually an industry newbie compared to last week's legend, Brian Stelfreeze. Last week, we heard Brian speak about the evolution he's seen in his career, and this week, we'll hear from Torrin about what he brings to his art and what he thinks the future of comics might look like. That Olympic torch Brian talked about last week, he's passing it to artists like Torrin. When I first heard your name, somebody sent me your IG, which is a delight <laughs> to go down because there's just so many cool images, but so much fun you have with characters that we have grown up loving. And I would assume that you are a true comic book fan. Yes. I am a Omega level nerd from as far as I can remember, the son of two parents who were nerds, just mega blurred legacy then. Okay, so when did you become a comic book fan? Probably around three-ish. So my dad was big into Marvel, and he loved all the Namor and, and Captain America and Thor stuff. And my mom liked weirder DC comics. She also had, like, her little Lulus and Lois Lane, like the one where Lois Lane is a black woman. She had that issue, and I remember reading it. It was, like, a weird dynamic of, like, the classic superhero stuff versus quirkier books with stranger art styles so i think when i was about three or four i started reading star wars and then my dad kind of saw that i was really picking up on it so he got me an issue of fantastic four and it was 288 i think it's a cover with all four of them and it's got like a rainbow background behind 
Sue, Reed, She-Hulk, and Human Torch, and it was just the coolest thing I'd ever read. And from then on, I was like, I got to read every issue of this. My dad was like, well, I'll give you my old stuff. So he gave me some old X-Men, which that set me off. That was it. I was hooked every week. Give me, 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 whatever you can give me. What was it about comic books that really drew you into the medium? From day one, I was pretty much always really into sci-fi. And 83, we went to go see Return of the Jedi in the theaters. And I very much remember that. And my mom had bought me a book that had Ralph McQuarrie's drawings. And I just thought they were the coolest thing ever. Like he did these matte paintings for the backgrounds or whatever. Like 99% of those backgrounds are painted. I thought it was cool. So I did my little drawings, which are absurd. (laughs) But my mom was like, well, he likes this clearly. So let's foster this interest. But I didn't know that you could tell a story sequentially like that. I just knew cartoons and movies. And again, I'm three. Like I have no concept of the world. I just know I like spaceships and explosions and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait here's a kind of book that has pictures of explosions and stuff in spaceships. How about I read more of this? So clearly not thinking about this at three or four or five or six, but like as you get into your teenage years, do you ever feel like you were particularly represented in comics? Like were there any particular characters that resonated with you or, or didn't? Well, I guess when I started reading comics seriously, it was early. I definitely was like six or seven. I think of like the challenge of the super friend show and seeing cyborg for the first time and being like, Hey, he's a black dude. Check him out. You know? And he wasn't so much like, he didn't seem very stereotypical to me, which is kind of interesting. Even at that age, like he was smart. He wasn't like overly slang or jive talking or poorly written. He seemed to have his own agency. And, you know, I remember in the episode that he first appears or whatever, Firestorm and Superman are like, hey, can you be down with us? And he's like, oh, no, I got this neighborhood to take care of. I'm going to do what I want to do. Get out of here. And I thought that was cool. He just seemed to have his own kind of vibe. But also at the same time, when I was reading X-Men and the Avengers pretty much religiously, both of those teams were led by Black women, which I always thought was dope. It was like Monica Lambeau on the Avengers and you had Storm on the X-Men. People kind of forget that. Like That was a long run of those two being on the top two teams in the Marvel Universe. I always kind of liked what I saw for the most part. The few that really resonated with me, I I really liked. It wasn't until much, much later that I really started to notice the difference between having characters that look like me and having stories that represented my experience or really seeing creators of color in these stories. Like by like eight or nine or 10, I'm paying more attention to the artists and the writers than the stories, really. And I didn't know that Black folk could make comics, to be completely honest, until uh, much later. That's kind of something that I think a lot of people had to come to the realization, not just that there were people behind the comics, but there were people that could look like us behind the comics. So you go from being a total sci-fi nerd, a comic book fan, and now you're an artist. When did you realize you're like, yeah, this is it. I don't kind of just want to doodle these things. I don't kind of want to do this for fun. Like, this is what I want to do. Oh, man, that's a tale. So, I mean, I, I always knew from like jump, I, I would say I am blessed in the way that when I was three years old, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. There was never anything else. ever maybe like a, <laughs> I wanted to be an astronaut for like five seconds until I saw the Challenger explode. And that kind of changed my uh, perspective on that. But I still loved space or whatever. But I've focused on drawing more than anything else in my entire life. So maybe around like 93, I was 13. 
my dad and I went to what was then, I think, the big Northeastern comic convention or something like that. It was like a precursor to Comic-Con. Nowhere near as big. And it was like 93, so I would say the beginning of Image. A lot of the young, cool artists were were out and about at the time. And so my dad took us. And it was, it was really eye-opening in a way that was a little bit discouraging to an extent. Because a lot of the artists didn't want anything to do with me. Like, I wanted to ask all these questions about the end of the comic industry and how things worked. Because I'd taken my art pretty seriously at this point. The year before, I had had a couple of drawings hanging in the Brooklyn Museum of Art. And I had won this award for, like, creative youth and was taking painting classes at Pratt University in Brooklyn. And there was a lot of art going on. And I was taking it very seriously. But I was zeroed in on the comic book thing. But when asking the professionals of that time for advice... They were like, what do you want? Get out of here. It was super discouraging. Like, I was legitimately upset. But my dad kind of noticed that he was ready to leave. And uh, we end up running into these three black guys, three dudes in suits. And, you know, they've got this huge banner behind them. And, you know, they're the sharpest dudes out there. And it's Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, and I think Derek Dangle. And they were getting ready to launch Milestone. This is like right before Milestone happened. And they actually spent time with us. They sat down for what seemed like hours and explained why they chose their publisher for the imprint and their goal and, and the creative side of it and the financial side of it. And they explained how comics work. Dennis had mentioned that he went to art school in New York, uh, High School of Art and Design. And uh, he was like, yeah, you know, if you're interested, you should do that. And I went home and I drew my entire portfolio in like a day. And by the end of that year, I was in art school. It was wild. It was definitely like, okay, now we're on the path. This is serious. This is something that we can do. This is a, an achievable, attainable goal. So you've been in the industry for a minute as a visual artist, clearly someone who's known their path for a really long time. How has the industry changed and evolved since you started? Well, I mean, that's the thing for me. I'm brand spanking new. I broke in at 40 and I am only 41. So this is year one and a half, two for me. I'm not entirely sure how it worked before. It definitely seemed from my perspective, like there was a certain level of disconnect between like, okay, I'm an Instagram artist who's been just drawing versus now I'm a professional and I've made it or what have you, which is a weird misconception. I don't quite get that. I'd be doing the work either way. Published or not, I would still be drawing at the level that I draw because I love to draw. That being said, within minutes of me announcing my first cover for Marvel, I got maybe like 13, 14 emails and DMs from Black creators that I had never known before or heard, you know, knew their work but didn't, had never had a conversation with and they welcomed me in like, <laughs> and that scene in Black Panther where there's all the Panthers on the tree, it felt like that. They were like, come brother. You are one of us now. And they, they kind of just gave advice. And it really felt like this is a tribe kind of moment. I feel like a weird side product of being a professional, quote unquote, is you don't realize how small the blurred community is. Everyone knows each other. And I was surprised at how supportive everyone seemed to be. There's that sense of community. Like I could have these conversations for stuff that I have not experienced that maybe someone who's been around longer could be like, hey, be careful of moving this way because this will make you look this way in the future. I really appreciate that to no end. You are an artist who is also a fan who now is considered to be a professional comic book artist. 
How does that feel? I try desperately, desperately not to fanboy, but it is really hard. <laughs> it's really, really hard. And, you know, I want to be in the forums with the fans. Like someone asked me the other day about the new Storm costume. Like, I did the first promo art for Russell Deuterman's new Storm design for the X-Men Red comic. And I'm sitting there drawing this. I can't talk to anybody about it, but I'm like, completely in secret drawing this costume i'm like oh my god i want to ask so many questions i want to like hit the editors up i want to i want to be deep in the mix with it and i posted on twitter and it blew up and everyone's asking me like oh you know is she going to be wearing it doing this and wearing it doing that i don't know i don't know you guys gotta i'm i'm learning as you guys are learning well and you also actually did a version of the new miles costume as well yeah yeah that is the chase conley design chase is another homie love him to death that's a one in a lifetime talent. Like that dude's just good at it all. But yeah, no, that chase design is that is the costume from here on out. I think I've drawn that pretty much consistently since issue 32, 31. You've done so much at this point, even within a year. Miles Morales, you just did this work on Storm, Immortal Hulk work you've done, Avengers work you've done, Symbiote Spider-Man, King in Black, like so much. But I also want to say you've done so much work for Marvel's Voices as well. Yeah, this is something that means a lot to me. So being able to be out in the front with guys like Olivier Coipel or all those other guys, like seeing my name essentially on a marquee like that, it's insane. Why are you guys asking me? I'm just some dude who draws. I I saw the cover. I know why they asked you. (laughs) But for real. I appreciate that immensely. So let me stop fangirling. How did you first get approached to participate in Marvel's Voices? Like what was the moment? And for folks who may not have seen all these great covers, talk to me about why you chose to draw what you did. The first Marvel Voices, I think, was pretty early on in my quote-unquote career still doesn't feel real so i i have that scarcity kind of thing where i got to do as many covers as possible they're going to fire me any minute but it was probably like my third or fourth cover and they reached out and were like would you be interested in doing this and they kind of laid out what they wanted they were like oh can we do like a drew struzan for those who don't know drew struzan does the all the montage posters that everyone kind of emulates when they're thinking of like these character design kind of elements. So they were like, can you do a Drew Struzan poster style image for Marvel Voices? And I was like, what's Marvel Voices? <laughs> and they walked me through it. I was like, oh, this is insane. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Sign me up. They gave me my choice of characters because I wanted to do very specific ones. And we went through the approval process for a couple of sketches and they loved it. I'm super proud of it. The new one... Originally, we wanted to do kind of a similar montage Struzan style, but I don't think that it would work as well as the first cover. But we wanted to have a tribute to T'Challa on the cover. So I was asked by the editors to kind of have a graffiti style mural on a building, maybe some heroes kind of paying tribute. And so I came up with the image that you guys will see, kind of a stylized Black Panther head and profile with the heart-shaped purple flower, you know, Wakandan gold writing on the building. Like, I, I really wanted to design something that would be dynamic and cool to work with the concept. I kept the colors in a gold and purple palette. If you follow my work long enough, you'll notice that there's a lot of purple and gold in that. So when I get to draw T'Challa, it definitely helps bring that Wakandan kind of feel to it. But yeah, 
I cranked that one out and I'm extremely proud of it. I really liked the way it came along and getting to draw Monica Rambeau, who's one of my favorites since way back. And anytime I get to draw Storm, I'm like, please sign me up. I'm going to do that to the day I die. And getting to draw Bishop was always, always fun. I feel like it also pays a lot of homage to where you're from. Right. Right. It looks like it's the side of an amazing New York building where the community has decided we're going to celebrate someone who we honored. And that's just so dope. It's exactly that. Yeah. And, you know, having it be in somewhere like Brooklyn, that it's a full circle moment for me. It's being able to kind of speak to where I'm from and my personal aesthetic and how I view these characters. The ones in that picture are all very important to me. Also getting to be able to have them in a quiet moment, not so much fighting aliens on the moon or something like just a moment, a humanizing moment for these characters. That's always fun. So we're kind of commemorating legacy right now and the stories that are coming out. We got some dope stories that are going to be in legacy. There is, you know, a Sam Wilson story. There's a Luke Cage story, a Monica Rambeau story, a Miles Morales story. You got when Luke Cage also has Missy Knight and Celia Reyes. Like, it is just yes. packed. Those, and, those are my kind of characters. Right. It's packed and amazing. And the artists are incredible. And for you as a fan, talk to me about how it feels to have books like Legacy, right? Because now Legacy is going to be the eighth Marvel's Voices book. And we started... At the beginning of 2020 with Marvel's Voices number one, and now we're on Marvel's Voices Legacy 2022. Like, as a person who's been reading these since they were three, like, what does this mean? How does it feel to be able to be a part of this? I will tell a fun anecdote of a recent encounter. Our elementary school is over in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn. And a couple of months back, I was walking by. There was a you know, young mother, she had her two kids with her. One of them had a Miles Morales shirt on. And I was with my friend and she was like, I know you want to say something to happen. I was like, yeah, I do. So I went and I spoke to the mother and, you know, I was like, oh yeah, do you guys go to the school? And she was like, yeah, you know, my sons have been in here and they're in the third and second grade and they love Spider-Man or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I went here too. And they're like, really? And, you know, after a couple of minutes, I explained that I draw Miles Morales. And they're like, oh my God, for real? You know, a kid, they're like snot nose and there's buggers on them or whatever, but it was cute. But um, the way that their eyes lit up that here's this guy who looks like me with this common thread of this is where he went to school, drawing the character that I'm wearing on my shirt, like the way those kids' faces lit up, I was like, oh man, this is, that's too dope. I, I, I love that. Just having that representation on any level is just, it's just a cool thing. I, I really really like being able to speak on that and if nothing else to see the reaction of the fans and young or old who can see themselves in these stories because that's the thing like everyone wants a story where they can relate you know everyone wants to hear a tale that makes sense to them and that's that's what i like about these voices books like they're all coming from perspectives that either are familiar or are perspectives that we should know about i love it Every artist has a style. You kind of talked about you like the palette of purple and gold. How would you describe your art style? And also talk to me about the other work you do outside of comics. <laughs> That's the hardest question I think I've ever been asked. How I view my own personal art style. I strive desperately to not be 
pigeonholed as a comic book artist, despite being a comic book artist. That might sound really pretentious and terrible, but I love classic illustration. I strive for a mix of those bold colors like your old classic 60s and 70s books with enough realism to give it that weight to it, that realistic weight, but not so much photorealistic because I don't particularly want to do that either. I'm still trying to find my balance, as any artist you ask will say. So when I, I hear feedback from people like, oh, my God, I love the way you handle this, or I love the way you draw light, or I love the way you do this, that always makes me happy. Someone had said on uh, Instagram about um, there's like a certain fun that's happening with the characters that I draw. Because I love them so much, I want to draw the essence of them before anything else. Like I want to be able to convey that character's personality, because to me, that's those characters do mean a lot to me. So yeah, it's, it's a mix of stylized realism with some personality, I hope. I hope that conveys through the art, but I definitely, I like where my work is. I feel like I have a long, long way to go to where I will feel 100% happy with it. But again, I think any artist will tell you the same thing. Well, and it actually like brings up another question. As a person who's been reading since they were three, are there particular artists or styles that you feel like you're inspired by when you do your work or does it just shift based on the project i think it shifts i definitely have like my personal faves obviously struzan is a big one for me bob peak was a uh, poster artist classic illustrator love his stuff like if you follow the thread people are always like oh your lighting is so good it's a i see light super intense but also because of those two artists Comic book-wise, love Adam Hughes, Ryan Sook. My boy, Louis LaRosa, is just insanely good at everything he does. J.H. Williams, John J. Muth was a big influence for me. He drew this X-Men book called Meltdown, along with another book called Moonshadow, back when Marvel had the epic imprint, and it's like all watercolors. It's beautiful. That's how I got into watercolor painting, which is my not-comic work that I don't get to do as often anymore. But yeah, I like more painterly styles, more heavily rendered kind of work. There are definitely guys who are dynamic, who I, I really enjoy, like Chase. Chase Connolly, the guy who did the Spider-Man redesign. He's an animation guy, but if you look at he's got a few Marvel covers. But you can tell, because of his skill set, the dynamism in his work just shines through. And I see a lot of guys do some really dynamic stuff, and they're like, fudge in the anatomy. This is a guy who knows his anatomy and is still airtight with the dynamic poses and the crazy perspective like you learn the rules to break the rules and i love seeing guys do that as an art nerd i definitely absorb what i see and i try not to let it influence me too much but i, I love seeing everybody's work one of the things that i also really love about your work is that you when you pencil your own work you like coloring your own work that is not the same with everybody some people just do pencils some people just do colors but i love the way you were able to paint brown skin and black skin and highlight it and give depth and texture. There's a jawline and the highlights are in the right place. So as you mentioned this concept of light, it feels like you've really tried to perfect this understanding of the shades of brown that you are working with. Yes. Thank you. In drawing these characters, I've noticed over the years that, you know, you'll you'll see big name artists draw black characters kind of just this flat black or this flat brown and they'll miss details like the different shades of color on our hands the color of our nail beds 
Some people might have yellow undertones in their skin. Some people might have red. Like there are so many different shades of brown and so many different features to painting somebody. Like if you're not a painter, you're not going to notice these things. And for me, I'm not letting somebody just throw some brown on my characters and just walk away. Like they're absolutely not. That's not happening here. And again, I've seen folks get away with it and like hairlines pushed back to like the middle of their head. Like you guys don't know what black hair looks like. Have you never seen anyone's hair? Google is right there, you know? So being able to realistically portray us in a fantastical sense, even though that's a total contradiction, but having these representations of us where our tones are correct, that is important to me. When I drew that last storm for that Black Panther piece that we were discussing earlier, take a good look at her actual skin. Like I made it a point to give her the yellow undertones under her skin and have her makeup reflect that. She's got a, a gold lipstick and the gold eyeshadow to match with her headset. Like there are details that need to be addressed and you portray them in the story. The story is always in the details. Those are the important things as an artist that you should be doing. I'm not saying nitpick over every little thing, but certainly don't gloss over it. And that's something I'm insanely passionate about. It's the details in the bone structure and the jaw lines and the neck musculature. Like, just get in there. Get in there and get those details out. And not everybody draws the same way, but for me, that's important. I want you to look at this character, and if it were in black and white or in color, you would still be able to identify who this person is and where they came from. Well, and I don't know about you, but I feel like there is an importance to the storytelling when those aspects you just mentioned exist. Yeah, absolutely. I had this teacher in high school who always said the story is in the details. So if I look at someone's face like that storm, I can see that she did herself up for her former booze memorial. She got up and she was like, I'm put on my face. I'm going to be proud Wakanda forever. You know, like she didn't just show up (laughs) with some flat brown face. She did herself up, you know. And I love that, too, because you mentioned a little bit in the musculature of the characters, because these are superheroes we're talking about here. You know, right, right. you don't do dainty. Dainty is not what you do. I know, you know, that's something that's also very consistent in your art. I think it's, you know, another one of my favorite artists, Chris Anka, does the same thing, like very much Chris focuses Anka's on the idea that these are human beings. And they are superheroes and they're all different, but they don't have to be waifs. Exactly. And no disrespect to anyone who draws waifs, but I'm not going to do that. There's plenty of that out there. (laughs) I don't want to over-sexualize anybody. I don't want to misrepresent that these are representations of characters and not actual people. Like there are different body types and I try to include as much of that as possible. I personally like to draw that detailed musculature for people that I know are going to be more action-based, like my Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers is not going to look like a waif. When I first started reading comics, she didn't have any powers, and she's beating up guys all day and all night with no powers. Like, who is this lady? Why is everyone afraid of her? Like, oh, I threw that robot out of a window. Okay, cool. Again, the stories and the details, you think of these characters and how they would react. You know, Storm's in the gym. I don't care what no one says. Storm is in the gym, and she's working. She's doing her thing. But it's the same with like... uh... I mean, Bishop, honestly, that thing you did. I was like, Bishop been out here fighting wars past, future, and present. (laughs) I feel like I gave Bishop too much of a glow up. He looks a little too pretty. (laughs) (laughs) He he just looks real handsome, you know what I mean? 
Wait, damn, what's my hair look like? I'm sorry, most of us have felt that Bishop was handsome since day one. Jerry Curl, I think I made him too handsome. God, his shirt's all extra tight. I'm like, dude, what? What was I doing here? (laughs) This was a delight. This is as delightful as I thought this was gonna be. (laughs) I'm glad that we got a chance to sit down and do it. I told Torin that that was a delight and I wasn't lying. I had so much fun talking to him and I cannot wait for all the incredible stuff he has coming to hit comic book shelves. Thanks again to Torin and again to Brian Selfries for celebrating the Marvel's Voices legacy books with me and helping us kick off season five. Now, as a reminder for all of you out there, Marvel's Voices Legacy 2022 is out now, so make sure you go and grab it. And make sure you check out the Marvel's Voices trade paperback that came out in January. It is full of so many incredible stories, essays, iconic creators, and characters you don't want to miss out. And make sure, for all of my Wednesday warriors, that you are putting the upcoming Marvel's Voices anthologies on your pull list. We've got so many incredible things coming out this year, and I cannot wait for you to see them. Next week on the show, I'll be talking to author Nick Stone about her newest Shuri book, the third in the series, Symbiosis. We'll also talk about a very exciting new Marvel podcast that just launched that Nick is hosting, The History of Marvel Comics, Black Panther. The first episode is out now. So now that you've finished listening to this, you should go listen to that and then come back next week to hear Nick talk all about that. Marvel's Voices is produced by Isabel Robertson and me, Anjali Crochet. Our creative producer is Harry Go. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen. And our executive producer is Jill Duboff. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamal Y. Nina.